O leaders of the apostles and teachers of the world, intercede with the Master of all, that he may grant peace unto the world and to our souls his great mercy. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all this morning. Um, Just as a reminder, we begin our Bible study by singing the hymn of our parish of St. Peter and Paul. And it's very appropriate because the letter that we're studying these days is written by St. Paul. Um, And, you know, there's many ways to look at how to read an epistle or how to read the scriptures. But for us, um, and I remember one of my professors in seminary emphasized this. Some people take different approaches. They look at the, you know, historical uh, method of interpretation or this method or that method. For our method um, of interpretation, more than anything, I think, should be to get to know the person behind the writing of this. To ask for his help in understanding Um, what he has written to the church in Corinth to form, if you will, a relationship to get to know St. Paul a little bit. And um, unlike the Gospels, I would say, you really get to know the character of the writer in the epistles. Uh, There's a lot of character that he has. Quite a spunky character, you could almost say. And so we ask for his intercessions as one of the great saints of the church to help us to apply what we read and what we study to our lives and to, um, with the grace of God, to open our hearts, to find even a little nugget uh, that can edify us and benefit us and help us on our journey. So just to remind ourselves of that, that that's kind of one of our goals of the Bible study, to get to know St. Paul and uh, through him to get to know Christ. Um, Because St. Paul, one of his famous things he says is, Um, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So if we get to know St. Paul, we're going to know, if you will, a reflection of Christ as seen in the person of of St. Paul. So that's a beautiful uh, thing to think about. So we'll pick up now from where we uh, left off last time. Uh, Last time we got through chapter 5, verse 8. So today will be a new material on Chapter 5, verse 9. So if you have the Orthodox Study Bible, at least in mine, that's 1556 and uh, 1557. Um, So um, last time we we spoke about the problem, one of the big problems in Corinth, which is that somebody had this very public uh, sin of incest And the church hadn't dealt with it, but was rather uh, embracing it and celebrating it. And um, this was a problem that St. Paul uh, is addressing in the the passages we read last time. And he spoke about the need to purge out um, the leaven uh, as you would in bread so that your dough isn't ruined. And in the same way that that person should be removed from the body of the church because They're living in unrepentant public sin, which is damaging not just themselves, but damaging the name of Christ and the other Christians that are in the church as well. 
Um, so St. Paul instructs the church to remove that person so that that person can be saved through maybe what you could call a harsher treatment, which is to say you're not finding repentance in the church. You're, you're uh, living in a way contrary to it, to um, the life of chastity, the life in the church. Uh, and you're not repenting. And this is not benefiting you, in fact, receiving communion in an unrepentant uh, way or in an unrepentant state is damaging um, in, in uh, deep ways to the soul. Um, and so the best thing for that person and the whole community is to remove that person, ask them to step aside for a time so that they can see what they're missing, hopefully. And in some way, God knows how their heart will be moved, hopefully to repentance, so that they can be returned back into the fold uh, of the church. And St. Paul says that, um, you know, he makes that transition then to talking about Christ, who is our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. So let's not uh, live, um, let's purge out the old leaven from the Old Testament passage of the Passover when they got rid of the leaven and sacrificed the lamb. Uh, this is the same that we're doing here. We're um, preparing ourselves to celebrate with Christ and joining in that feast with him. Um, and then he continues the epistle, um, uh, and he'll be talking a little bit more about this and say some helpful and interesting things, continuing on the topic of how to um, address um, uh, immorality in the church and outside the church. So let's, maybe somebody can read verse 9 through, um, maybe just 9 through, yeah, 9 through 11. I don't know, Sarah, do you want to? 9, sure. nine through 11 there? <laughs> I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or exhortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an exhortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Wonderful. Okay, so I don't know, anyone have any initial thoughts or, or comments on what we read there? There's some instructions and direction he has. Does anybody have any thoughts, or, or how did you receive that? Well, I mean, you're not even to eat with them. I mean, mm. uh, yeah, I guess you're not supposed to. I guess you're supposed mm. to stay with the Christian organization mm. and not be out with uh, mm. anybody else in the world at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's trying to make that distinction between he makes a distinction between how we interact with people in the church and, and how we interact with people outside of the church as well. Mm -hmm. So that, that last part, right, where he says, not even to eat with such a person, he's talking about, you could say, somebody in the church that's mm -hmm. living a, uh, how do you say, a uh, uh, life of hypocrisy. Oh, in other yeah. words, mm -hmm. somebody that's living a life of unrepentant sin in some way in the church, mm -hmm. like that person that they're removing. That's the kind of person that's trouble, you could mm -hmm. say, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, but that's pretty harsh that he's saying not even to eat with such a person, mm -hmm. to hang out with such a person. 
Um, and that's what uh, he's instructing this community. I, I think you, we have to be careful when we, in, we apply some of these things mm. to our lives. Because if I have a friend that's orthodox, that's in the church, you could say, but maybe isn't living a great life, usually it's not because they're somehow, um, I don't know, usually it's because they don't know better or they haven't been awoken to that fact. It's not usually, I think what he's talking about here is somebody in the church that's, uh, how do you say, unrepentantly, uh, flamboyantly sinful and spreading their malice in a way, right, Uh in the church to the whole community. And trying to, you know, going to church all the time and yet maybe starting a fight in the pews or something like that. (laughs) This is what it comes to my mind, right? Or coming next to, to, to... of coffee hour and throwing the coffee pot across the room, right? Oh, oh. People that are pretending to live a Christian life and yet are acting in a very non-Christian way in a dangerous thing like that. That's the kind of person to say that's, that's a dangerous place to be. They're not open to hearing anything you have to say sometimes. I think that's maybe a, 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 a test, right? If the person is just completely in their own uh, way and there's nothing you can do to help them then maybe just take a step back from such a person. Dan, did you... That's compared to like verse 9, where the mm-hmm. people that are not in the church yeah. say, if you ignore all these idolaters yeah. and this and that, and you're not going to go out in the world at all. That's what mm-hmm. I read Dan Yeah. So you've exactly. got to deal with these people. Exactly. And, and so there's, there's, a, there's a big yeah, difference there's between difference. those people we described in the church, yeah. where they're saying, maybe take a step back from that kind of unrepentant, hard person, but that's a different story than somebody outside the church that may be doing the same things and yet doesn't know any better. The church exactly. The I mean, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So there's a difference there. And you could even say, I would go so far as to say, there's most of the time you don't run into things like this, mm-hmm. in my experience. Mm-hmm. Even people in the church that, that maybe you know that they're not living their best life, you could say, or... There's things in their life that, that could be improved, and you see it with discernment, not with judgment, not to condemn the person, but you see it with discernment. Such a person is suffering with the sin. It's better to draw closer to that person, like you would with somebody in the world as well that doesn't know any better or has um, habits and, and ways of, of being that aren't with the church and could use somebody, a friend, could use a loving person to come beside them and talk to them. That's most of the time, what, at least in my experience. I don't know if, if you all uh, agree, uh, but in my experience, usually drawing closer to somebody and eating with them even, you know, uh, this isn't meant to be like a legal thing. Oh, that, I saw that person, you know, doing that wrong. I'm going to shun that person. Uh-huh. Now, most of the time, it's, I saw that person doing something wrong. God bless them. I'm not going to judge. But with discernment, I'm going to draw closer to them in love and spend time with them. And that can be the most beneficial thing for, for people. Because, I don't know, at least in my view, at least from raising children, I've noticed something about humanity. Uh, you, you learn many things from raising children. But one of the things you, that I realize is that when my kids misbehave and act out and fight each other or hit the wall or throw toys, 
it's usually because I haven't shown love towards them enough. I haven't spent enough time with them. And when I'm distant or I'm, you know, aloof in my own mind, even, even maybe in the same house, but just absent, that's when they tend to misbehave, right? So instead of punishing them for that misbehavior, often a good approach is to come close to them and say, I love you. Let's spend some time together. What are you doing? We don't need to be throwing toys <laughs> against the wall or things like that. So I think that's kind of the, the principle of uh, living together when you consider what he's talking about in the community, at least living together as a family, that often that those family dynamics that you see in your own family, the church is a family as well. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ that come next to each other and support each other when we see somebody acting in a way that bothers us instead of being bothered ourselves to come next to them and and uh, be a friend to them is the way of of christ right is the way of of love so i don't know other thoughts on on that or yeah Kate? i already have you know, yeah I, I read the part we're not supposed to eat with them but I'm, I'm on the same page with you. I think mm-hmm. immediately, if I see something that doesn't seem right, they're like, okay, let's eat. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Coordinate something. Yeah. Because people need to feel that welcomeness, that love. Yeah. Exactly. Race. Exactly. But that's also distinguished from mm-hmm. how you phrased it, flamboyant. Mm-hmm. Person yeah. Who is deliberately. You know what I'm talking about? What I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, trying to cause a scene. That's a good mm-hmm. way to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And somebody that, you know, it, it maybe with that, even that person, you try to get close to them, but sometimes it, it's rare. I mean, at least in my experience, thank God, you know, that, that, that um, yeah, you have that. But most of the time drawing close, right, is, is beneficial. Um, so, but it's, it is interesting because he, he says that about people in the church, right? There's a certain uh, way of looking at people in the church and outside the church, so at the beginning of that, in, in, in verse 9, he says, well, he says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with uh, sexually immoral people. So obviously in that saying, he's saying that he has written to them already, which is an interesting thing to think about because 1 Corinthians may not be the first epistle of St. Paul to the Corinthians because he said, I've written to you before. So it's possible there's a pre-epistle that he wrote to them beforehand. So we don't know what he said. It was lost to us, which is God's providence for whatever reason. We don't know. When you get to heaven, uh, Lucy, you can find out for us. And uh, <laughs> whoever gets to heaven first, find out for us what's in the first epistle uh, before this one. I would be curious to know. But uh, someday we'll know. But so he had told them not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Obviously, they hadn't been doing this. They hadn't been listening to that. Because the person, even in their own community, wasn't uh, treated in the way he's advising them uh, to treat people. But then he clarifies. He says, I didn't mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. That's a, it's an important thing. That's an important verse because sometimes um, we, you know, uh, we have to remind ourselves 
that the Christian life is something where, as, as Christ says, you are the light of the world. So that means to be in the world, Christ says uh, 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 in other places, be in the world, but not of the world. So he's not saying here we have to leave the world because if we were to say, well, anybody in the world you know, is sinful, I can't associate with that person, you'd have to leave the world. And Paul's saying, no, no, you have to be in the world. And therefore, it's okay to associate uh, even, I would, I would go so far as to say that we have an obligation to be extra kind to people in the world. Go so far as to say, because we're, the, like Christ said, the light of the world, to be extra kind to the people in the world, to treat them with even more kindness and love and compassion and realize that our duty is to bring the light, to evangelize those kind of people. That's the loving thing to do. And the best way, in my experience, to evangelize is to draw close and love to those people. So I would go so far as to say it's okay to be friends with those kind of people, right? Because often they don't know what they do. They don't know uh, their, as it says in the Old Testament, people don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know up from down. The world confuses us, turns us up and upside down. And most of the time, it's a good assumption to have, I think, that people are confused, deluded in the world, and therefore it's our job to draw close to them in love um, and show them the light and love of Christ. And that's what we're to do, not to exclude ourselves from the world or create a club of we're holy and they're not holy and we're going to go form a commune in the middle of Nevada of holy people. <laughs> and that way we don't have to shop at the yeah. stores yeah. where yeah. whatever or whatever. Wait, we're going to do that. St. Paul is saying the opposite. He's saying, be in the world, right? <laughs> have you ever wanted to live in the middle of Nevada? In a, no? Okay, good. good. Then you're on the right track. <laughs> Not Nevada. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not Nevada. <laughs> yeah. Go get a private island in the Bahamas. That does sound nice. <laughs> that sounds yeah. Yeah. Um, now, there are obviously Orthodox people, we call them monks, that do leave the world, right? That do leave the world and go and live in a monastery. But it's important to realize that they're not leaving the world because they hate the world or because they despise or are so disgusted by the world that they have to leave and form a place of holy people, right? That's not the motivation of a monk, a monk leaves the world not because he hates the world, but because he loves the world. And he knows that the best thing, his calling, this is not the calling for every person, is to pray for the world in a concentrated sort of way, to devote themselves to sanctification and to prayer uh, in a very holistic way, living off in the desert, praying unceasingly, not for their own salvation only, but for the salvation and the uplifting of the whole world. So people say in the church, like if you think about Mount Athos, which is a famous peninsula in Greece with all these monasteries, thousands of monks, people will say that places like that keep the world afloat. That's what, from a spiritual perspective, you can say that. Or another example is San Francisco. The city of San Francisco is an hour south from where I grew up. 
And if you know anything about San Francisco, it's often known as a place of evil. <laughs> there's, there's, uh, there's, uh, it kind of has a reputation in a way, like a Las Vegas in a certain way. It's always kind of had that, you know, cutting edge of the latest sins or whatever going on, you could say. Um, <laughs> where they test them out. Sorry, there's many places like that. But I just say, just San Francisco, like growing up, I would, we would always, you know, oh, San Francisco, we're going to go to San Francisco, we're going to enjoy San Francisco, but then we're going to leave. And there's people that live there, and there's good, wonderful people. And an example of that is actually that for, for several years, one of the people that lived in San Francisco was St. John Maximovich, who's one of the greatest saints of our time. The, the miracles that have come from him are amazing. Um, and you can, you can read, and people, he would serve the liturgy, and people would see the uncreated light of God emanate from the altar. Right? Um, the healings, I know people personally that were healed through his prayers, through his oil from his lamp. I mean, the amount of grace that resided in one frail person was amazing. And a Russian saint, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had been uh, gone to seminary in Serbia. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was in, in, in France at one time, in, in Shanghai, in the Philippines, and eventually was in San Francisco. In the middle of the city of San Francisco was St. John. He didn't separate himself from the world. He lived right there in the middle. He would give, he would come to church sometimes, and people would, like the other hierarchs or, you know, respected people in the church, would make fun of him because he would show up to church without shoes on. And they found out later, or somebody would find out later, he had given his shoes to a homeless person. Right? This is the kind of person that he was. Right? Didn't separate himself from the world at all. Right? He was right there in the middle um, of the world. And so even kind of growing up, we had this idea that like, you know, St. John died in, this, in Seattle, actually, but then he was buried in San Francisco, and his relics are a shrine where people come all around the world to venerate his relics, which haven't decayed yet, and um, <clears throat> which is another sign of, of sanctity in the church. The skin is still on the bones of, wow. his, of his hands, and you can go see it. Um, but we always had this idea, kind of, you know, growing up north of that, that, you know, San Francisco was being held from destruction, <laughs> you could say, by St. John. Like, he was the, the, the one thing that was keeping the city alive spiritually, right? Is that, is maybe, so even if one person is in the middle of a society, no matter how bad the society is, one person can hold it a lot, uh, keep it, keep the light going. As long as there's one person, even. It's a beautiful thing. And that's our, our calling as well, you could say, is to be that light that's unaffected by the darkness, that sees that there is darkness, right? You have to acknowledge there is darkness in the world, but is unafraid, unaffected by it, and continues to live their light, live their life and shine the light of Christ. So this is what St. Paul is saying, is be in the world. Love the people in the world. Um, because... And one of the things that he kind of picks up on here that um, is throughout the, the scriptures, even the Old Testament, is that the people in the church and the people out of the church 
are two categories of people that God judges differently. That God judges the people in the world and the people in the church differently. It's even back in the Old Testament when it talks about the judgment of God. Israel is judged first. The chosen people are judged first and harsher than the people in the world. And then the people in the world are judged second and not as harshly. This is a theme that the scripture that, that should kind of prick us a little bit to say, we are the ones that have seen the light. We have the ones that know better, you could say. And so we're judged a little bit harsher, a little bit uh, stricter. Because to know and then to sin is worse than to not know and be sinning. Um, so it's, it's uh, something to think about to give us more love and compassion for the people in the world that God will be their judge. And this is what St. Paul uh, was saying, what says in the next part, right after the part that Sarah um, read. Uh, he says, I, what have I to do with judging those who are outside? I should have discernment, right? Discernment is one thing. But to judge and condemn the people outside, what have I to do with that? Obviously nothing is, is the implied rhetorical there. Um, do you not judge those who are inside? Yes, we should. You know, the, I mean, God judges these people inside. But those who are outside, God judges. So what does that mean? God judges the people that are outside. We do not we're not it's there not, not to judge and condemn them. This is God's judgment. Um, now, when he says judgment, the idea behind judgment in the scriptures is not uh, is, is more than you could say the idea of you've done something wrong. Here's your punishment. Right. That's what comes to our mind first when we think sometimes of judgment is you've done something wrong. So here's your just reward. Here's what you deserve. You stole from me, so you deserve to have all your things taken away, or whatever, right? To, to say, here's the crime, here's the punishment, as the famous book title is. Um, where judgment is, in the, in the scriptures, much more related to what you could call justice. The idea of justice and judgment. Justice is a little bit broader of a term, at least in my mind, than judgment. Justice means to put things in their right order, to order things well and right, to put things in their place, which is a much bigger thing than an individual judgment. You did this, you deserve this. Justice is something that is beyond what we can see as being just. We can see what we think is just, but in the scriptures, God is the one that knows justice, the one that gives out justice. And his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So what is being said here is that, especially for those outside the world, God will put things back in order in his own time, in his own way. We don't know how or when or what that looks like, but this is something that's God's concern to put justice in. Right? And in the church... In the same way, this is God's church, but he has entrusted it to the bishops and priests. And so that's where somebody may need to be expelled from the church. Hopefully, that will never happen, right? 
but the, the, the church has some order to it, right? Has amount of justice that the priests and bishops are meant to, how do you say, enact God's judgment. So that's a, an interesting thing to contemplate because even like if you look at justice in the outside world, God is the one that does those things. And yet in the, um, you know, in the scriptures and it's picked up in the Byzantine Empire, the emperor or the king of a society is the one who is meant to enact God's justice. That's the idea. A king or a ruler, especially one that's pious and Christian, right? Their goal should be that when somebody comes before them with a problem, it's God's justice they're enacting. Knowing that we're going to make mistakes, kings will make mistakes. Knowing that at a certain time, God is the one that at the end of the day, will put things back in order on what we call the day of the Lord. When he returns, everything will be put back into order. So who are we to judge the people next to us in the church or outside the church, right? Who are we to put, make justice happen in a way? This is an, a, um, a, an area where God is, right? Our, our place is to live rightly, to love, to do our best in our own lives and not be overly concerned with the evil or the problems of the world. Because the best thing we can do is not to figure out the problems of the world, but simply to offer up the world in prayer. That's, that's uh, the best we can do. And that's a lot, as we said, about one person being able to hold up the society. So, okay, any thoughts on that before we move on? Well, um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not, I never was a big reader. You know, I'd be doing other things. And... Uh, since, um, you know, the age where they've got videos and podcasts, I've learned a lot more about the church than I used to know. And because back my parents went to church maybe about four times a year and had communion about four times a year. But it's, I feel like um, in, when you're relating to judgment, I'm learning even at this age more things that is written in the Bible that mm. I didn't realize. Mm. So it was like, are you getting off? Well, in the law, it's like ignorance of the law is not. Mm. <laughs> but in the church, I feel mm. like you're still growing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't know that this was wrong, but now mm. I did it before and I'm known mm-hmm. or unknown. Maybe, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm getting uh, mm-hmm. relief from mercy from God or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, maybe that's why he says we shouldn't judge others because they're not at the same yeah. spot or whatever. You know? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. That's exactly right. And always always to remind ourselves of God's mercy for us and for others. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I guess I kind of, it's kind of a question, mm-hmm. but I guess on this theme, I feel like in the Christian world and even in the Orthodox world, Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of our mindset for mm-hmm. some groups is to be out of the world and, like, mm-hmm. to, you know, move to Nevada and mm-hmm. have their little commune, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know what it is that we're missing. I, I mean, I guess, like, what's what's the balance? What's wrong? What's right? Because I know we're mm-hmm. also not supposed to just 
completely be mm-hmm. in the world partying with all of mm-hmm. our friends but also loving god you know what i mean so i guess mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. but we're also not supposed to be living mm-hmm. in a commune so <laughs> yeah, yeah. i guess yeah what do you think mm-hmm. i don't know yeah that's that's the big question right <laughs> that's the how do you find that balance mm-hmm. between being in the world and not of the world mm-hmm. that's that's, I don't think I have a great answer, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the answer lies with, with each person mm-hmm. individually looking at their heart, you know? Because obviously we're, we're in the world. The of the world part, I mean, you know, that's kind of uh, something we have to ask ourselves. Because I think all of us are worldly or of the world to a certain degree, Right. There's nobody in the church that's truly forsaken the world. Because that would mean you no longer judge. You're no longer proud. You no longer think a negative thought. You're praying all the time. Right? right? Then you could say, I'm not of the world. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because I'm not affected. When we say the world, it doesn't just mean, you know, worldly people or whatever. It's more of the spirit of the, the world, mm-hmm. which is all the evil, the negative thoughts, anything away from God, that's the world. So I would say, first of all, just to, to think about that all of us are of the world mm-hmm. to a certain degree, and yet we're called to be less and less of the world and more and more in the kingdom of heaven, you could say. So it doesn't really answer your question, but... Um, it points to that journey of where we should be heading is, is asking ourselves. And sometimes we, the way to see is like, where, where are my attachments? Where am I attached? Am I really attached to eating good food? Am I really attached to this or that? Are these things, things that kind of, I don't know, bind me. And if they are, that's a good indicator that we're of the world, right? Rather than being detached and uh, uh, free. I used to feel like I lived in two different places shortly after I moved here. I was like, should I be here or should I be in Iowa where my family is? And then finally I came to the conclusion that I'm always going to feel like I belong mm. somewhere else. Mm. And I think that that belonging somewhere else is mm. your spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And that there's many times that you're in a situation where you just don't fit in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of mm-hmm. speaks to, you know, is this the worldly thing or the spiritually thing that's mm-hmm. pulling you? Yeah. But I think it's real common to feel like, you know, you're, you've got this duality going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good thought. I think that's why mm-hmm. there are groups of people that do... Mm-hmm sort of separate themselves mm-hmm. from the rest of us. Mm-hmm. That they, they don't feel like they belong in this world, and mm-hmm. so they do their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, I feel it's probably equal amount of the same stuff that goes on in that group that goes on everywhere else, but they, <laughs> exactly. they just don't, you know. A better feast. Yeah, yeah, something, you know. They just feel better. Yeah. Well, and, that's, a, a and that's an interesting group, thing. Right? You, could say it, you could say it in a clever way. that You can take the Christian out of the world, but it's harder to take the world out of the Christian. Yeah. 
like just leaving the world isn't going to rid you of your passions. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's not the world. Exactly. So it's better instead of pointing at everybody else around you as being right. the cause of your irritation and your sin. Oh, I'm only sinful because the media has been telling me that sin is okay or whatever, right? right. It's better, uh, it's better <laughs> to, to say, no, I'm not going to look outside for the cause of my sin. I'm going to look inside of here. And that's, uh, that's the challenge. That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, not, it's not a bad thing to go hang out with friends, to watch a movie, right? Mm-hmm. All these things are, are good and whatever. Uh, but if they become our identity mm-hmm. <laughs> too much, right? Uh, if they have a hold of us. It's yeah. true. Oh. <laughs> Good there point. Go. There you go. I watched the Lego movie the other day. Have you uh-huh. ever seen the Lego movie? Uh-huh. The Lego Lego. movie? No. Have you ever seen the oh, Lego no. movie? I, I didn't watch it's it with so the bad. kids. Cause it, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you watched that. <laughs> <laughs> there well, I wanted to see if it was good for the kids to watch, and the answer was no. For us, at least, oh, in, wow. in our... In our parenting, but I actually really, I really like the story. It's funny. Because, I'm sorry, I'm just off at But the whole time is just completely goofy, like Lego characters yeah. interacting yeah. with each other and like, you know, big bad guy trying to take over the world. And then all of a sudden at the end, there's a huge plot twist, you could say, that's really interesting. So I'm not saying you should go watch the Lego movie, but um, it was very interesting because it was, yeah... I mean, there's, there, I don't want to spoil it, but you could have a whole discussion even on theology or the meaning of life based on that. Because uh, it, 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 it goes into the themes of like control versus freedom and things like That's that. That's true, yeah. Right? Am I right? <laughs> I just look for the jokes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like Oppenheimer myself. That was good. Oh, I haven't, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen, seen that, that one. That was I cool. See that one. Now I want to watch Lego and see what that's all. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you one of my one of my favorite classes in seminary. Favorite because I enjoyed it so much, and because it actually taught me uh, more than some other ones that you would think would be classic ones in seminary. But one of my favorite classes was uh, film and theology, and we watched movies and we talked about them. <laughs> And it was my favorite class. Mm. Yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, some of the uh, some of the things that can be portrayed on film. Yeah, yeah. Can't do that to people. Yeah, kind of break it down. Yeah. Well, I grew up with westerns. Oh yeah. And you know, back then, you got shot, you drunk. Now it's true. You're sprayed with machine guns yeah. and everybody just keeps coming. It's like, I don't quite understand how this is working. <laughs> no, nobody dies. You know? true. And then only the one hero is the one that wipes everybody out. So there you I'm, go. I yeah, I mean, most, most superhero movies, right, are like, yeah. <laughs> how is this even happening yeah. right now? Really? Yeah. Yes. Um, no, no. I had friends that we used to, pre COVID, we'd go Friday night. <laughs> early movie, so we could go out to dinner, like four mm-hmm. o'clock movie. Mm-hmm. And everybody had a different opinion every time we started talking about mm-hmm. them. But when I saw, I think it was called Rhapsody, 
Mm. Like Bohemian Rhapsody, Bohemian. the new one about Bohemian. Prince. Mm. No, Queen. 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 And I Queen. didn't know that he wrote that song that they always play before football games. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But it, it was a very and interesting movie because it mm-hmm. just depicted, you know, how when you do something, mm-hmm. how it affects your parents, mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. co-workers, yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just felt so sorry for this person that nobody was there to, yeah. maybe they tried. But it didn't seem like they tried hard enough. Mm. I haven't seen that. <laughs> but I still like that movie. I thought it oh. had a lot of important things too. The other I one, like the music too. Yeah. The, speaking of music, the other one we saw recently I hadn't seen before was uh, Les Miserables. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, I hadn't seen that before. The newer one. That's mm. the musical. Oh. Such a powerful story. I, I, yeah. I think I think one of the you know just kind of going back to what Sarah said or whatever. There's an a interesting thing in the church. It comes from St. Basil the Great, and it's condensed to a simple phrase. I don't know if you ever heard it. It's called, be the bee. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that phrase? It's this idea that a bee is a creature that sees uh, a whole, it could be in a whole pile of a troll trash heap and find the one flower yeah. in the middle of the trash heap. Mm-hmm. Whereas a fly, on the other hand, can be in the middle of a beautiful field of flowers and find the one piece of trash. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so the encouragement. Everybody share. <laughs> Let's go around. <laughs> Who do you identify with? <laughs> So that, that's, that's our saying is like, we, we should try to, try to be more like the bee, yeah. more like the bee. And that means even like this, like you watch a movie or whatever, like be the bee about it. Find a good thing about it, right. like whatever it is, to be, to be the bee. <laughs> You'll try. Okay, good. That's all that, that's what matters. <laughs> And they also said that the bumblebee mm-hmm. aerodyna- aerodynamically should not be able to fly, but mm. it does. But it does. We don't know how, but there you go. that's what I had said. With, with men, it is impossible, but with God, it is possible, <laughs> it is possible, to, possible be to be the bee. <laughs> I want to piggyback what you said. Like, you learn so much when you have a kid, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. About yes. people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, Christ says, to enter the kingdom of God, you must be like a child. Mm-hmm. And you think of like the innocence of a child. Mm-hmm. Right. And you want to preserve that mm-hmm. as long mm-hmm. as you can. But then, you know, mm-hmm. when you talk about communals and everything, are you really doing your duty and exposing them to, or preparing them for the world? Right. Mm-hmm. Because it, while mm-hmm. it's my instinct to want to shelter right. and mm-hmm. keep them as innocent as possible, like, they would never survive the world if right. you did mm-hmm. that. Right. You know? Right. So how do you, as a grown-up, hold mm-hmm. on to that innocence, but still be yeah. out of the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you do have to, like, mm-hmm. guide them through. You can't just be like, yeah, just yeah. go on. Yeah. It's all Shelter. Fine. Yeah. 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 So I find myself, like, letting them watch certain movies so they know. I mean, Michael and I are pretty straightforward people. Like, you know, we don't... The other day I made a comment about a lady walking and a mm-hmm. Penelope's like, well, mom, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> <laughs> kids are, kids are the best. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, that wasn't very 
I find myself trying to like find ways to expose them that maybe there are people out there that don't say nice things about people. <laughs> maybe that's right. me. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's me you know? But it's almost like an intentional thing, you know, yeah. that like if if they didn't see that somewhere, yeah. right, then right. they wouldn't. Right, yeah. and I think it's better to teach yeah. them at well, home. Yeah, I, I always felt, yeah, I'm sure I was way too lenient, but I always felt like we're just more or less guiding them. If they're going this way and they should be going that way, just give them a little tap and send them that way. Yeah. But, you know, you have, we can't make decisions. We have to teach them by their own independence how to make the decisions so that when they yeah. get out there in the world, yeah. it's like, my and it sounds like you're doing a good job. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. Father is so right. There's so much you learn from children. The children. A, a child, yeah. Yes. Yeah. you know, and how you should be as a person. Right. Yeah, I love that saying that he says, and it isn't even like, oh, it would be nice. Jesus doesn't say, oh, it would be nice if you're little children. That's a good way to be. He says, unless is the word. Unless you become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. It's kind of a, a powerful way to say that. And when you think of their tenderness and their innocence and their love for everybody. Simplicity. Like, yes, right, right. It's yeah. just, you know, forgiveness. My, my yeah. interpretation of that was it was more about like the sort of, like the wonder and like the, the striving to know, like to learn and experiment with things rather than like the shelteredness of it. You know what I mean? So it's more like, Mm-hmm. Oh, don't don't become like an adult and be like callous. Like, oh no, like mm-hmm. I know what the world is now. Like mm-hmm. I know what reality is mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's more like um, don't lose this sort of like childlike drive mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. and wonder about about mm-hmm. the world. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's many things that children are. Yeah, yeah definitely. This is something mm-hmm. that I think about all the time because yeah. some of you guys know you were laughing about people being raised in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. That's literally my background. <laughs> <laughs> so this city, which is in a conservative state, which is pretty wholesome, it's not safe enough. So we're going to build out in the country 45 minutes from the closest town. Mm-hmm. And we're going to homeschool all of our kids. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a big plot of land. Mm-hmm. Like mile and a half long mm-hmm. you know, driveways. The whole, the whole shebang. Yeah. And I look at all my siblings and I yeah. think, well, we all went our different ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think mom and dad were disappointed because I thought we're all going to be yep. of the same mind. Yep. And we're going to avoid all the yep. pain of yep. the fall, basically. Yeah. 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 We're going to have our hate in our own. To recreate paradise. Yeah. And that's not what yeah. happened. You know? So it's like the being so sheltered backfired, yeah. ironically enough. Yeah. So I'm thinking all the time these days, I don't, I don't have a family yet, but even when yeah. I do, how can I find that balance? Yeah. Because... Yeah. The pride would be, oh, let them, yeah. let them be in the world, and I'm not yeah. going to repeat the same mistakes that my parents did, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But then you could also go the other direction, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So I think, okay, who has the answer? Yeah. And at the end of the day, all we can do is fall on our knees and ask God for help, because yeah. either extreme yeah. can be detrimental. Yeah. Know? I have found yeah. that it's a learning experience throughout the whole process mm-hmm. for the whole, your whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. You, 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 you can say one thing today and yeah. 10 years from now you're going to say, ah, oh, that wasn't so smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
it, it's life is a learning experience. Yeah. Period. I think I think part of it sometimes the impetus to withdraw from the world is fear. Oh, fear definitely. of becoming like the world, becoming this, or having your children become like that. And I think whenever you do something out of fear, um, it never becomes what you want. In other words, it, it doesn't, it, it's, there's corruption that's sown in that. When you do something out of fear, it's, it's bound to fail in yes. a way. Right? If it we, fails one way or another. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a hard thing to think about because it is, I mean, there's truth to it that you don't want to be like this. You don't want your children to do that. But the, the fear that your children are going to become like this or the fear that you're going to be corrupted or defiled by this or that, that, that fear at the heart is, uh, is the real problem often. As, as a... Who was the famous president that said, the, the only thing we have to fear... It's fear itself. Fear is, who is was that? that Churchill? Churchill. Yeah. It wasn't a president. Churchill? Churchill. Churchill, yeah. Oh. I, think, I think that's kind of true. Yeah, I think yeah. it was Churchill. FDR. Yeah. FDR. There you go, Roosevelt. FDR. Maybe yeah. they both... Thank you very much. Our local... Churchill probably took that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call you our local Brit to, to yeah. settle it out for us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes that's the thing, like the fear, the fear of this, the fear of sin, the fear of failure, the fear of failure, the fear of your whatever it is failing, that can hold you back and can corrupt what you want to avoid and you end up doing the thing that it's a, it's a strange phenomenon. So because when you walk in fear, you're not walking with God. And when you're not walking with God, then you have a problem. Right, but when you walk in the faith, that the faith for exists, like you bring a child into the world, it's, a, it's an extreme example of a lot of these things. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a risk that they're gonna become monsters, right? There's that risk, mm-hmm. and if you're bound by the fear of that happening, that's gonna affect the way you parent, and you may create a monster, <laughs> right? That's the irony of it. Mm-hmm. Where when you walk in faith, knowing and balancing that fear with the faith that God. Um, will be there, that God, you know, faith in God, that he will act, that he will act in their hearts and in their lives, then you're in a good place. You're in a, a, a place of freedom because fear binds us where faith Which, sets us that's free. That's hard to escape because even like TV commercials, everything oh. is fear-based right now. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it manipulates yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. I feel like even like if you're avoiding certain sins because you're afraid of them and you are like you are avoiding that sin, it's not even it's kind of backwards. Like you're avoiding certain behaviors of sinfulness because you're afraid rather because or instead of because you know because of your faith and because of your love for God, it's it's like very backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
It's a, it's a fascinating topic to think about. We, we touched on quite a few things today. I know. It's a good discussion. launched it too. Yeah, of course. Because Father Jeremy, who's here, you know, but that's Father Jeremy Troy of Wing Grand Junction. So a couple of years ago, we got onto this topic because at the time, and this was very like, super helpful to myself as well, actually. But at the time, there was six or seven people who all showed up sort of at the same time. Who, as you probably know, on the Western Slope, it's 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 like Mormon. It's very kind of evangelical Christian. It's very judgmental, quite mm. frankly. I mean, a lot of this kind of Christianity is massively judgmental. So. Um, we, had, we were having a book study about this. It went on for a couple months. And so I just want to recommend this book. If anybody's mm. interested, this mm. is a fantastic Oh, book. yeah. Do yeah. not judge. Do not judge. Oh, do not Thank judge. you. Yeah. Yeah. Easy to remember. That's a really good one. Really good. Really yeah. good. And you can borrow it if you want. Amazon, guys. Thank you, I was just Anthony. about to ask about that topic yeah. because I... Yeah, I'll have to check it out. And I was wondering also, mm-hmm. Father, how do you respond to to people who seem to be like the Karens of conservatism? <laughs> Wait, you <laughs> had to break that down for us. Like the Karens of conservatism? Explain oh, Karens. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> it started during COVID, that word, right? Karen, to right. use a Karen. It, it's K-A-R-E-N, It's just right? the name that the name. Like, we... This generation is calling like yeah women I know what if your like name bossy. is actually Karen <laughs> bossy women who like bossy. Oh, impose their way on they yeah. like to talk think, about what they well, think. I feel like during COVID it was yeah. like it was like imagine somebody that's like like telling you oh you got to put your mask up you got to put your mask oh, yeah. up like, it would be like it's like getting Karen. in their face about things <laughs> like, let me speak to the manager type yes. yeah let me speak yeah. to your manager yeah. or sends yeah. the yeah. feedback yeah. she's a Karen anyway yeah okay so. <laughs> So just to define the, the modern term Karen. <laughs> I know. Karen. 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 Yeah. Basically, or to call someone Karen, probably. But especially so, as a piano teacher, sometimes you're like a hairstylist. People end up treating you like a therapist, right? Okay. So they really? tell you all about their woes and yeah. the things that they're angry about. And this comes up often, this feeling of if I can be basically as judgmental and point out all the wrong in the world, mm-hmm. um, then that's going to help <laughs> me be a better Christian or save my family or something like that. And it's, it's always so disturbing to me because yeah. it's not the orthodox way. Yeah. But you can't, you know, you can't yeah. change yeah. people. And yeah. that's not your yeah. calling. How do you diffuse situations like that? Yeah. Feel people's steam. Oh, you're saying you're talking to somebody who is expressing all their judgments of. Right. They spend too much time on the news, on social media. Yeah, because it can, it tailspins into complete negativity, Mm -hmm. right? Nothing is good enough. Nothing is. I mean, the reality, I mean, we are all tempted by that, right? To look outside of ourselves for problems. Mm -hmm. When the more you look inside yourself, the wiser of a person you become. Right, I mean, some people, a hundred percent of their energy, yeah, is is externally looking around, judging, whatever. But that's reflecting something in here. That it says, you know, the scriptures from the heart comes the judgments, the whatever. And it's it's tricky because you know they say, oh well, 
this is a good judgment. It's good to do this, right? There's a difference, though, between judgment and discernment. Mm. Judgment is to issue a condemnation, to be upset, to be angry in your heart about something, right? To let it bother you and bug you. Mm. That's a judgment. And that's something not the outside. That's something in here that needs to be fixed. But it is good to have discernment and to say, well, the world's looking pretty dark today. Or this person that I know is suffering with these sins. God bless them. Right? That's a place of peace and a place of light in the heart rather than judgment. So often it can become very toxic, uh, some people, especially if you watch the news. Like a lot of, of you know, some of the news, you have very, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of hatred and fear and all these things that come from news anchors that are in their own hearts that are coming out on the television, right, as they spew out anger and judgment and animosity and, and whatever it is towards, I mean, every side of, of the coin, right? And we listen to that and it gets into our heart and we develop that habit of mind to judge, to be harsh, to be critical, thinking that we can fix the world and then things will be okay. When that's a complete distraction from the fixing that needs to happen, which is in here. So you could call it a distraction for one in, in, the, in the simplest way, right? It's a distraction from looking in here. So I guess it's, based it's, off that, which we're totally like, anyways, <laughs> based off that, like how do you recommend that we view, like I guess, things that are happening in the world that we maybe should be informed on? Like I feel like it is from a place of privilege to completely like not pay attention to what's mm-hmm. going on in your surroundings yeah. or in the local mm-hmm. government, stuff like that. So like how do you recommend that we... Stay informed, but also, like, not, I don't know, but, like, protect our hearts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's the great question. You always have the good questions here. I'm quitting. No, I'm just kidding. Right? I mean, I think, I think I had a professor in seminary that said we grow and live, we, we grow when we live in the tension, when we, when we see the evil and are tempted to judge, but we're trying not to. Mm-hmm. This is a living in the world and not of the world, mm-hmm. right? It boils down to, again, looking in here. Mm-hmm. How am I treating my heart with these things? How is my heart responding to these things? Because, um, yeah, we're not trying to, you know, put our head in the sand and ignore all the problems, but developing the muscle and the habit of looking at things, maybe taking a step back from the news mm-hmm. and then, you know, offering it up in prayer. Maybe some people do, like, people take Lent and don't read the news at all. I, I, I see I that sometimes. That. My neighbor did not look at the news everything. <laughs> she, she is, I feel bad for her because she's in a wheelchair. She's yeah. never going to, she's lost a leg, so she's never going to walk again. Yeah. And all, and so she is just like, yeah, focused you, on the news. You know what this book is called? Yes. What is it called? The good news. The right? good news. <laughs> so if you want to get away from the bad news, you have to go for the or good balance news. it out. Right? <laughs> yeah, balance it out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, um, very good. I think we're almost out of time. But Fran, did you? Yeah, go ahead. She, she, she drives me crazy when she does call me. <laughs> I, tr- I, stay, I try to stay away from her as much as possible because she is, yeah. you know, I understand her situation. 
yeah. is not a good one and never will be and yeah. all that. But she has always been this way even before. Yeah. So I think the challenge, right, is, is even to take somebody like that. She called me the other night, I don't know, last night, night before. She wanted me to look up the yeah. telephone number for the president of the United States. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Did you find it? No. You've got that no. in your... No, yeah. <laughs> I just, Let me just pull it away. And then she just, yeah. like she just went on and on and yeah. on about this, you know, the... It's the, hard the to war. see that. She, she, she's it's anti-war, of course, and so, yeah. you know, she's just dwelling on it. I said, you know, it's in yeah. the Bible. There's never going to be peace in the, in the Middle East yeah. until they all accept Jesus. Mm. And she says, I know that. Well, I said, you know that, so let it go. <laughs> you can't do anything about it. Mm. I can't do anything about yeah. it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then she gets off into something else. So. Yeah, uh, it's it's I hard. I limit my time with That's her. kind of what yeah relates to what Kate was saying too. You know, you there are people that it sometimes it can be a monologue of all the things that are on their heart, but and it's, you know to even treat them, you treat them as a. A person that's ailing. I'm trying. Right? Yes, exactly. And that's that's. Uh, I understand all that's that. That's hard. Yeah. It's hard to do. So I just like yeah. I yeah like you said I I limit my time yeah. with her. Yeah, yeah. But I do give her time. So. Yeah, that's you got it. Yeah, that sounds wise. It sounds like you're on a good path with well, that. Well, I. Yeah. yeah. I wish I could help her, but I can't. Yeah. Okay, well, may God, may God help us. We're yes. at the end of time. But, but I mean, our prayer is, may God give us the strength to focus on our, on our own heart and our own soul. That's always a, a, a good takeaway. Um, and to, to cultivate love for the people in the world, in our heart. Right. To pray for the world. And um, we, we do that every time we gather for church. We start that way. Peace, let us pray to the Lord for the peace of the world, for the salvation of, of all people, right? This is, this is our prayer and our hope. So um, thank you all. It's been a fun conversation today. May God bless us in the prayers of St. Paul, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen.